All right, you ready for the word this morning? Have you had enough? If you've had enough, you can go. It's fine. We understand. But for those of you crazy people, borderline crazy people who just can't get enough, then let's get into the word together. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I want you to open, please, to the book of. Why don't you open to First uh, Corinthians chapter four? I've got several verses to read to you before we get there, but I'll give you a head start. First Corinthians chapter four. We have been in a series together since the beginning of October that we've called "Increase to Overflow." Increase to overflow. Thank you, Father. Now we've been looking into the Word of God to find the will of God. Why? Because that's the only place you can find it. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, look to His Word. If you want to know what God's will is for what He wants you to have, look to His Word. What He wants you to be, look to His Word. We're not letting uh, men's ideas, we're not letting tradition, religious tradition, tell us what the Word or what the will of God is. And we're certainly not letting somebody else's experience or their lack of experience tell us what God's will is. It's like he said to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have towards you. People have quoted that verse for years and they thought it was such a sweet, nice thing that he was saying, but God was, dare I say it, arguing back because there was a lot of people speaking on his behalf saying, God wants this and God wills that. And finally he had to speak up through his prophet and say, Hey, I know what I think. I know my thoughts. I know my plans. In other words, if you want to know my thought, ask me. How many of you would like for people to do that with you? Instead of just assuming something you think or just implying something, why don't they find out from you what you think? Why don't they find out from you what your will is? Well, hey, here's a novel idea. Why don't we find out from God what God's will is? what God's plan is. So we've been looking to his word concerning increase, concerning overflow, because a lot has been said about it. A lot has been said concerning the will of God for prosperity. Uh, just that word alone. Uh, have you heard this, this expression people are using? Uh, trigger words? Well, that's a trigger word. You say that and it really triggers this group. You say this and it really triggers that group. And all you have to do is say that word and people get upset. Well, there's a trigger word in the church these days. You want to know what it is? Prosperity. And that's all you got to say to make some people mad, which is so funny to me because church evidently is the only environment in which the word prosperity is a bad word. You get some politician using it and everybody votes for them. Seriously. I mean, what, what, how many votes would some politicians got, get if they said what some preachers say? What if some politicians stood up and said, I don't think um, that this country should prosper. Does that guy get any votes? No, you got to go to church for that to be a bad word. But we need to find out whether or not it's God's will. And this is what we've been renewing our minds to for the last several weeks. And I encourage you to go back and get those messages. If you've, if you missed any of them, or, or if you've only heard them once, you need to feed on these things over and over and over again. And last week we talked about how a little becomes a lot, how a little becomes a lot. 
And this is an important thing to talk about in this series because we're talking about increase. And you can't overflow until you've increased. And I think that upsets some people. I think a lot of people would like to skip the increase part and go straight to the overflow, but it doesn't work that way. You have to increase. An empty cup cannot overflow until it increases. And that increase is followed by more increase, is followed by more increase, is followed by more increase. And if it just keeps happening, eventually it will overflow. And last week, like I said, we talked about how a little becomes a lot. And the reason we talk about that is because this is something our God specializes in. You look back through the word and this is one of those things. It's just one of those things. It's a God thing, man, how he can take a little bit of something and turn it into a lot, turn it into something that overflows. He does it with stuff. He does it with things. He does it with people, people who are small and seemingly insignificant. He turns them into great and mighty people, more than conquerors. Amen. Well, we talked last week about how God specializes in taking a little, turning it into a lot. Remember we talked about uh, Elijah in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah, how he went to the widow woman. The Lord sent him there. He said, I've commanded a widow woman to provide for you. And he went and found her. And when he found her, she was picking up sticks, getting ready to make her last meal. And he said to her, I want you to get me some water and why don't you bake me a little cake while you're at it. And she said, oh, oh man of God, I can't do that. You know, I got just a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm just getting ready to go in here and make one last meal for me and for my son. And that's it. It's famine time. And this is going to be our last meal together. And he said, I understand, but go make me a cake first. And then he gave her a word from the Lord. And the word of the Lord was the bin of flour will not run out. Now that's quite a word. But you got to decide in that moment, do I believe this word? It's an unusual word. And as far as she knows, this has never happened before where a bin of flour has never run out. Well, she chose in the moment, you know, the story to believe the word made the man of God, a little cake, made him some bread. And guess what? The bin of flour did not run out. The jar of oil did not run out, lasted her all the way through that famine till it began to rain again. She could grow some crops. This is God turning a little into a lot with Elijah or that was Elijah with Elisha. He went to another widow woman. Now this woman whose husband had just died, he left her in a huge amount of debt, so much debt that the creditors were coming and because she couldn't pay the debt, they were coming to take her sons as slaves. And she's talking to the man of God about this. And he said to her, well, what do you have in the house? Man, that's a good question, isn't it? That's a good place to start right there. What do you have in the house? And she said, all I have is a little jar of oil. And he said, I tell you what, you go get all the empty vessels you can find. You go ask friends and neighbors and strangers and just say, I need something to pour some oil in. Give me a cup. Give me a vessel. Give me a jar. Give me a bucket. Give me something. I can pour some oil in. And she collected, I don't know how many it was, but brought them all back to the house. And the man of God started pouring oil and that little jar of oil filled up one of those vessels. And then it filled another vessel and another vessel and another jar and another bucket. And it just kept filling up vessel after vessel after vessel. 
until finally he said, bring me another one. She said, that's all the vessels I've got. And that's when the jar of oil stopped. God turned a little into a lot. And what the man of God told her was now take this oil, sell it, pay off your debt, then live on the rest. That's increase to overflow. It wasn't just enough to pay the debt. That would have been wonderful. It would have been wonderful to pay the debt and not have to sell your sons into slavery. Come on. But that, that's not where God stopped. He gave this woman enough to get her out of debt and to live on the rest of it. How many jars did she find, man? I don't know, but everyone she could get her hands on and she lived on it. It's like we said last week, this woman went from over her head in debt to a success in the oil business. Just like that. Just like that. God specializes in turning a little into a lot. We talked about how this happened a number of times in Jesus' own ministry. You remember this? Can you think of a time when Jesus turned a little bit of something into a lot? Yeah. Fed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And we look specifically at how that happened. Come on, somebody help me that side. How did that happen? That's what you want to know. How did that happen? Say it again. How'd that happen? This is what you and I need to be finding out. Don't just read these stories and go, oh, wow, isn't that neat? And then move on. No, you need to go, okay, Lord, how did it happen? Well, I should say you need to be finding out if you care at all about God turning a little into a lot. If you don't, if you don't care about him turning what you have, the little bit of something you have into a lot, then, then don't bother with it. But is there anybody in here who would like to know how our God, come on church, turns a little into a lot? Well, then your question should be, okay, Lord, how? Show me how. And Jesus showed us how. When they brought that little boy's lunch to him, when there's 5,000 men sitting out there, not counting women and children, thousands of people, Jesus gets it in his heart. I want to feed them. Whose idea was it to feed the people? Jesus' idea. Is it still his idea to feed his people today? Yes, it is. And when they brought to him that little lunch, some of the, the disciples saw it. And of course they said what you and I probably would have said, it's not enough. As a matter of fact, Andrew looked at it and said, what are these among so many? Without realizing it, maybe without intending to, he did what you and I have done too often, and that is minimize what we've got. Despise what we've got. Belittle what we've got. And the problem with doing that is you're not thankful for it. And what he did, which would have been a great lunch, if he wasn't trying to feed 5,000 people with it, that would have been a great lunch. Five loaves of bread, a little carb heavy maybe, but you've got protein on the side. Everything kind of balances out. It's fine. But it would have been a great lunch. The reason he despised it was because he was looking at the need. And anytime you look at what you have only in the light of what you need, what you have is going to look like nothing every time. But what he had, was it nothing? No. It was something. And instead of calling it nothing, what did Jesus do? He said, bring it to me. And we saw this in the scriptures. This account is recorded in all four gospels. And what Jesus did, the Bible says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says he looked up. 
Don't let that get past you. If he's looking up, somebody tell me, where is he not looking? He's not looking at this little lunch anymore. He's got his eyes off of what seems small, what seems insignificant. He's not looking at it. See, this was Andrew's problem. He's looking down at this. He can't get his eyes off of how little and small and nothing this is. What's Jesus do? Look up. This is the first thing you got to do. When a need shows up in your life and you got a little and you need that little to be turned into a lot, you got to quit looking at what little you've got and do what? Look up. Say it again. Look up. Jesus looked up. This represents him looking to another source. What's he saying? This is not my source. You are my source. He looked up, but he didn't just look up. The Bible says he blessed it. He looked up and he blessed it. We have no record of him praying, informing God of the need we have no record of him crying out to God. Don't you see? Can't you see what we need? Oh my God, what are we going to do? All we know is he looked up and he blessed it. Now to bless literally means to give thanks. It means to celebrate. It means to speak well of. And if Jesus is doing all that with, with this little sack lunch, that's going to look crazy to some people. You're trying to feed 5,000, 10,000 people, and you're excited over this little, this little boy's lunch. And that's what Jesus was doing, though. He's blessing it. He's speaking well of it. Part of that probably was, oh, young man, thank you. Look, thank you for this offering. We received this. What a bountiful offering. Glory to God. Look at how good God has been. And everybody else is like, what? What are you talking about? He's blessing it speaking well of it, celebrating it. Here's the big key to turning a little into a lot, being thankful, being thankful for it. All we know that Jesus said and did that day before five loaves and two fish became more than enough to feed thousands of people. The only thing we know he did was be thankful. This is the answer to how. How does a little become a lot? You get thankful for it. You make a big deal out of a little thing. How does a little become a lot? You make a lot out of a little. That's how it works. Now, I want to add something to this this morning in the time that we have left. And I already know we can't get to all of it. And as I'm praying about this and studying it, I have a sense in my spirit that this is where we're headed. If it's not here in these next week or two, it's, it's definitely as we move into next year. I've been asking the Lord over the last several days, what is your word for 2023? And I started getting some things in my spirit about it. I'm excited about it. But I want to add something in answer to this question, how does a little become a lot. Number one, a little becomes a lot when you get thankful for it. Number two, a little becomes a lot when you are faithful with it. Can I say that to you again? A little becomes a lot. Number one, when you're thankful for it, a little becomes a lot when you're faithful with it. Thankful for it faithful with it. I want to talk to you this morning for just a few minutes about faithfulness. Now, 
before we can really get into you and I being faithful, you got to establish something else. And when I say establish it, I mean, you got to get it so deeply ingrained in you. It's got to become a part of your thinking. It's got to become a part of your believing. It's got to become a part of the very fabric of your being. And that's not just that you are a faithful person. It's that God is a faithful God. That's got to become so ingrained in you that you don't lose sight of that. You can't be talked out of that. God is faithful. Would you say it with me? God is faithful. When you start talking about faithfulness, you start talking, you, you start talking about the very thing that makes God, God. Let me read a few scriptures to you about this. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And, and if we can put these on the screen, I'm going to move quickly, but, but hopefully we can get a few of these up there for you. Listen to it again. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is Listen to it from the New Living Translation. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Isn't that what I was saying to you? This has got to become a part of who you are, man. So deeply ingrained in you. Hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. When you're talking about faithfulness, every time you see the word, there's going to be another word connected to it. Trust. To say that God is faithful is to say God can be trusted. He's trustworthy. Lamentations 3:22. Sarah made reference to this already today. The Bible says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Somebody say, thank God. Because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know this one, I hope. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is, come on church, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. You know another way you could say that? He's faithful. No variation does not change. God is faithful. If there's no variation in him and he's faithful, you, know what, you want to know what that really means? You can count on him. You can count on him. Have you ever used that expression to talk about somebody you know, somebody you love? You can really count on it. Man, you can count on that guy. You can count on that girl. Oh yeah, you can count on him. Why do we use that word, that expression. Why? What is it about those words that translates to faithfulness? You can count on them. Well, think about it. Think about it like this numbers. And this is what people who love math, God bless them. This is what they love about it. It doesn't change. And for all of eternity past, and for all of eternity future, the number two will always come right after the number one. 
and it will always come right before the number three. I don't care what's going on in politics. I don't care what's going on socially or in, or in culture, what's changing around us. That will never change. That's what it means to count on somebody. It's consistency. You can count on God. He is as faithful as one, two, three. Does that make sense to you? He's faithful. Thank you, Lord. Listen to this from Hebrews 11, verse 11. It says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. You know what you should be saying? How'd she do that? I mean, I know you know the story, but the question should be how? How in the world did this 90-year-old woman have a baby? Not because there's anybody necessarily interested in doing that, but still the question should, should exist. How did that happen? Well, this says she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Where did the strength to have a baby when she's this age come from? It came, we might say, well, it came from God. Yeah, but what did this say? She conceived, she, she received strength to conceive seed when she decided he's faithful. Where's your strength going to come from? Strength to do whatever it is you need to do. It's going to come the moment you decide God is faithful. Or how else could you say that? God can be trusted. God can be trusted. She received strength to conceive seed the moment she decided, I can trust him. Where do you receive your strength? When do you receive healing? When do you receive what you need? When do you receive your peace and your, and your joy? When do you receive your provision? When do you receive it? You receive it the moment you decide, I can trust him. I can count on him because he is faithful. That word faithful means he's reliable, means he's dependable, means he's trustworthy. It means he'll never lie to you. That's what faithful means. So with that in mind, there's a question you have to ask when it comes to prosperity. And really there's two big questions. The first one is, can you trust him for it? When it comes to prospering in God, can you trust him for it? Now, this is a big part of what, what differentiates us from the rest of the world. We're sitting in here today talking specifically about prosperity as it pertains to natural things, material things, financial things. But you know, there's a lot of people in this world that have a lot of stuff and didn't get a penny of it from God. So it's not just the stuff. Can you see that? You cannot look at somebody and just say, well, they got a lot of stuff there. They must be really blessed. Not necessarily. The question is, how'd they get it? Where did it come from? So you could have the same stuff somebody else has. You be a prosperous and God person and them not be. Well, what's the difference? It's the same stuff. The difference is, who did you trust? The difference is, how did it come to you? Because with you and I, the big question we've got to ask and answer is, can you trust God for it? Or do you have some other source? Are you your own source? 
Is the government your source? Is your education your source? Is your experience your source? Are other people, is your family your source? Or is God your source? Can you trust him for it? Well, we've already looked at like half a dozen verses that tell us how faithful he is, which means he's trustworthy. He's worthy of our trust. God can be trusted. I said, God can be trusted. Say it with me. God can be trusted. You need to say it again. God can be trusted. The big question you have to ask first is, can you trust him for it? And that's where we tend to stop. When we're preaching prosperity and we're looking to the word and we're finding out, man, God wants us blessed. He's made promises to bless us. That's typically where we stop. Well, I can believe God. Bless God. I received that. Thank you, Lord. I believe it. I receive it. I, I sow my seed and, and, and laid on me, Jesus. And that's typically where we stop. I trust you. I trust you for it. And there's a lot of people, listen to me now, who are genuinely trusting God for it and yet living without it. So you didn't like that. <laughs> I don't like it either. But the reason that could be so is because there's another question. The only question when it comes to prosperity isn't, can you trust him for it? There's another question. And the other question is, can he trust you with it? This is what's keeping many, many believers small, it's what's keeping people in lack. It's what's keeping people constantly struggling to keep up, even while they're crying out in faith and believe in God and trust in God to the best of their ability. They're answering that first question and it's good. Can you trust him for it? Yes, I trust him. The next question though is just as important. Can he trust you? Can he trust you? Well, if his faithfulness means he's trustworthy, how do we show that we're trustworthy? Faithfulness. I'll make a statement to you, and it may sound big, but I mean it. Faithfulness is one of, if not the biggest key to increase to prosperity in our lives, faithfulness. And there's a lot of other things that go with it. Our sowing, of course, we believe in that. Of course, we believe in putting the kingdom of God first. Of course, we believe in making good confessions over our finances. All of those things are good and they're wonderful, but without this key of faithfulness, all of the others have no effect. Faithfulness. So these two big questions, can you trust him for it? Can he trust you with it? Let, again, let me read a couple of verses here to you. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19. Maybe we can have this on the screen for you. The Bible says in verse 19, Proverbs 28, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. Verse 20 says a faithful man. What kind of man? What kind of person? A faithful person will abound with blessings. Come on, do you like the sound of that? 
abounding with blessings. That word abound literally means to overflow with. Do you like the sound of overflowing with blessings? Of course you do. I'll go ahead and shout for you. Woo, pastor, we believe that. A faithful person though. What kind of person? is overflowing with the blessing of God on their life. It's a faithful person, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. From the New Living Translation, it says it like this, a hard worker, oh, I just lost like half the room. Does the Bible say anything about hard work? Yeah, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. Man, in one verse, you and I get told, here's how to prosper, here's how to live in poverty. A hard worker will prosper. They'll have plenty of food. Notice what he says in verse 20. The trustworthy person will get a rich reward. But a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. Now, you got to understand something about the time in history when these words were written. This was back in a time in human history where mankind wanted to get rich quick. Now, of course, we don't deal with that anymore. That's not so much a part of our culture now. Or is it? Is this not amazing to you how many thousands of years ago these words were penned and yet we're still dealing with this stuff today? people hastening to be rich. I want to be rich and I want to be rich like yesterday. This goes back to what I said to you a moment ago. People want to overflow before they increase and it doesn't work that way. People trying to get rich quick. He said it ends in poverty, but what's the opposite of trying to get rich quick? Faithfulness, faithfulness, being reliable, being trustworthy. Again, from the book of Proverbs, the Bible says in chapter 20, verse six, most men will proclaim each his own goodness on Facebook. <laughs> I'm telling you, this stuff is still so relevant to us. Is this not a problem today? Is this not what, what the vast majority of social media has become? I call it the parade of self. I call it the, hey, everybody, look at me. Listen to me. Look at, look at what I'm doing. Listen to what I'm thinking. Look at, look at my opinion. Listen to what I have to say about this. Meanwhile, everybody else is like, who cares? Who cares? And yet we feed on this stuff. It's the parade of self. It's the parade of self. And most of it has become most men proclaiming their own goodness. It wasn't hard to find that day. It's not hard to find today. But listen to what he says. Most men will proclaim his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Do you hear that? Who can find a faithful man? The New Living says, who can find somebody who's truly reliable? The New American Standard says, many a person proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy person? You gotta, you gotta think about who's writing these words. This is Solomon. This is the king of the nation. And I can nearly hear the frustration in his voice going, it's not hard to find somebody who can tell you what a good job they can do. 
It's not hard to find somebody with a glowing resume. It is not difficult to find somebody with a self-congratulatory resume that lists all their accomplishments and all their experience and all their education and all their degrees. And I can almost hear it from him coming from this point of view of like, I'm done with that. I put stock in that before. I bought into that before. You know what I want now? Somebody faithful. Can you hear what he's saying? Who can find somebody faithful for every for every hundred people who will tell you what a good job they'll do, you might have one that's actually faithful. Can you hear the frustration in his voice? Well, let me tell you something. It's not just him looking for faithful people. These are the words of God. I said, these are God's words. Who is God looking for? The faithful. Who is God after? The faithful. He's not, he, he, he's not looking at resumes. God's not, you know, flipping through a bunch of resumes. Well, this one went to Harvard. So, you know, maybe he should pastor or this one graduated from this place or this one grew up in this family or this one has this much money or this one, this one, this one, this one with this experience and this education and this one with this job and blah, 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 blah. You know what he says? Give me somebody faithful. And you can see just from this one question, who can find a faithful man, a faithful person? Who can find somebody truly reliable, somebody trustworthy? You know what that question alone reveals? It's rare. Faithfulness is rare. Real, genuine faithfulness is not everywhere. But the good thing is, the more rare something is, the more valuable it is. And as a faithful man and a faithful woman, you might be rare, but you know what that means? You are valuable. You are valuable to God. You are valuable in the kingdom of God. And the Bible even says that he scans the whole earth looking for those whose heart is loyal, same word translated faithful. And when he finds a faithful heart, you know what the Bible says? He's found somebody he can show himself strong to. It's almost like he's got radar and he's just scanning the earth. Dude, 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 dude. <laughs> I mean, it's that rare. But I'm believing God that as that scanner begins to hit the front range of the Rocky Mountains and gets closer and closer to Green Mountain Falls, Colorado, and what? He comes across a room full of people whose hearts are full, whose hearts are loyal, who will be faithful to him. Faithful. Can you trust him for the increase? Yes. We know he's faithful. Here's the other question. Can he trust you with it? Now, I heard somebody say yes. And I want to hear you say that. I want that to be your answer. But you need to, before you shout that out, you need to hear what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at this with me. Did you find 1 Corinthians 4? 
<laughs> that was 35 minutes ago. So hopefully you found that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 1, Paul writing by the Spirit of God, he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let a man so consider us. When people think about us, this is what we want them to think. He said, let a man so consider us servants of Christ. That's us. Servants of Christ. And then he used this word, stewards of the mysteries of God. I don't think you and I fully understand or fully appreciate what a wonderful thing it is to open up your Bible on a daily basis. I said on a daily basis. I said every day. Call me crazy. I think Christians should read their Bible every day. I don't think we fully appreciate how wonderful it is and how miraculous it is that you and I are able to open up our Bibles on a daily basis, read it, and check this out, get it understand it. Now, I'm not saying we fully grasp every single thing that's written in there. There's a lot that perhaps we don't understand and we're learning and we're growing, but you don't know. You don't know what a precious thing it is to be able to read your Bible and to, and to get anything out of it for the light of revelation to come on in your heart in, in a way that only the Holy Spirit can do that. You don't know what a precious thing that is because there are people and have been people for thousands of years now that have, have tried that Bible thing, that have read it and tried to read it from an intellectual standpoint. They've opened it up and, and read it. Many of them cover to cover, pushed it away and said, that's nonsense. There are people that have tried it, got nothing out of it and have labeled it old, archaic, old thoughts, old ideas, completely irrelevant for today. You don't know, church. I said, you do not know what an awesome thing it is to open your Bible and hear the voice of God. That's not happening every day. And it's not happening everywhere with everybody. But glory to God, it's happening with us. When you and I crack that thing open, whether it's first thing in the morning or last thing before bed or sometime during the day and you open it up and you hear a voice speaking to you and it's the voice of God Almighty spoken through his Holy Spirit and you see things and you get things and you learn things and it, and it blesses you and it enlightens you. It's a miracle happening. I said it's a miracle happening. And what Paul said there was when they think of us, they need to think of us not just as servants of Christ, but as stewards of the mysteries. Stewards of the mysteries. Things that are a mystery to the rest of this world. You're living in it. You're walking in the light and the revelation of it. And we are to steward those mysteries. The word steward, it's not a word we use often now, but it really is just the word um, manager, administrator. And this is what he's saying we are when it comes to the mysteries of God. We're, we're stewards, we're managers, we're, we're administrators. This is like almost all my job as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, 
is to be a steward of these mysteries, to be an administrator, a manager of it, to hear from heaven and, and, and get the direction of God for you, what you and I are supposed to be looking at, when we're supposed to be looking at it, talking about the right thing at the right time. Managers of the mysteries. Somebody say manager of the mysteries. But look at this verse two, moreover, or you could say more importantly, it is required it's required in stewards, in managers, in administrators, that one be found faithful. This is, this is the whole job description. This is the whole job requirement that you and I be found faithful. Do you notice he used that word found faithful? What did we read from the Proverbs? Who can find a faithful man, a faithful woman. It's required that you and I be found faithful. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to read this to you. Um, let me give you a few translations of it. The NASB says one must be found trustworthy. Uh, one, the Amplified says one must be found faithful and trustworthy. The New American says one must be found trustworthy. New Revised Standard says it's required of, stu of stewards that they be found trustworthy. You hear that word coming up over and over and over again? God is faithful, which means he can be trusted. Are you faithful? If you are, that means you can be trusted. You can trust him for the increase, but what's the other question we're asking? Can he trust you with it? Now I'm going to read the NIV to you. Actually, I'm going to put it on the screen so you don't think I'm lying. And this is either going to make you mad or make you more mad. I'm not quite sure. But I want you to see it from the scripture. In the NIV, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it's required that those who have been given a trust must, and what's that next word? Prove. Prove what? Faithful. So when I say to you, can you trust him for it? And you shout, yes. And I say to you, praise God, can he trust you with it? And you shout, yes. You know what else I'm going to say? Prove it. Prove it. People do not like this. We have found. <laughs> But do we have something to prove? According to the scripture, do you and I have something to prove? I've literally had people, Sarah and I have had people tell us, I've got nothing to prove to you. Well, according to the Bible, we do. We do have something to prove. And what is it that we have to prove? Faithful faithfulness. Yeah, I can tell we're, <laughs> we're going to have to spend some time with this. I, I, I want to give you one last thing in the couple of minutes that we have left. And I know we're going to have to come back to it, but go to Luke chapter 16. And musicians, you guys can go ahead and come on up. He's looking for us to prove faithfulness. Prove it. In Luke chapter 16, these are the words of Jesus. 
and they're familiar to you, but listen to them again. Luke 16, and we'll begin in verse 10. Jesus said, He who is faithful, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He went on to say, he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's talking about money, material things, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful, if you've not been trustworthy in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Jesus, in these few verses, gave us three areas to prove faithfulness in. Now, let me just touch on these, and I can tell we're going to have to come back to them. But he gave us three areas to prove, say it again, prove. I want to hear you say it. Prove faithfulness. Number one, little things. Now, remember, what are we talking about? How a little becomes a lot. Well, it becomes a lot when I trust him for it, right? Well, that's a good first step. But a little becomes a lot when you are faithful with a little. Proving faithful with little things. He said, if you're faithful in the little thing, you'll be made ruler over much, over big things. And that's even how the way the New Living says it. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you will not be honest in greater things. So what's the first area we, we need to prove faithfulness in? Little things little things. You want to know how to be faithful with a little thing? Make it a big thing. Make a big deal out of it. Faithful with a little thing. When, when somebody gives you a, a, a job, a task, asks you to do something and you see it and you think that is so far beneath me. Don't they know where I went to school? Don't they know what experience I have? Don't they know what Fortune 500 companies are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they give you something and it seems little, can you be faithful with it? Part of being faithful with a little thing is making a big deal out of it. Hmm? Hey, could I, could I get you to sweep up the front porch? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Do you got a broom? Yeah. Okay, great. And you get out there and you start sweeping and you don't stop until that porch is the best looking porch in the Western hemisphere or Northern hemisphere, whatever you, you keep going until that's the best looking thing. It is shining and you have gotten every, every crumb. You've gotten every rock, every leaf off of that place. And then what do you do? You shine that broom. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Faithful with a little thing. This is something my dad used to ingrain in me. I remember it specifically. If I ever had to borrow somebody else's car. One time I borrowed a car and I returned it to the person unwashed with no gas. And he said, you will never do that again. And it got so ingrained in me that when somebody lends you something, you return it to them better than you found it. Now, does that sound like a little thing? Yeah. And now it's so in me that I don't care if I borrow somebody's car for a couple hours one afternoon. They're getting it back with a full tank of gas and cleaner than I found it. Amen. This is being faithful in a little thing. 
And what did Jesus say? If you're faithful in a little thing, if that little thing is a big deal to you, then I can give you some big things. But if that little thing, if you just minimize it, despise it, belittle it, talk bad about it, that's all you will ever have. And that little will stay little. How are we faithful in the little things? Make a big deal out of it and understand this is how God does everything. There is nothing in the kingdom of God that doesn't start as a seed. And seeds by nature are little things. They're little things. This is how he does it. How do we prove faithful in little thing? We treat it like it's a big thing. We'll talk more about that, I guess, in days to come. But another one he said here, here's another place you've got to be faithful. If you are untrustworthy, if you're unfaithful in worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? We got to understand that money, stuff, and no matter how much of it you've got is not true riches. Now we know the Lord wants us blessed and we know he wants us equipped with what we need. But even in that, we got to understand that handling these material things is nothing but a test. Money is nothing but a test. And I don't care if you got bu- 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 billions in the bank. It's not, you haven't even begun to touch true riches, true riches spiritual things, unseen things, the things of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. These are the true riches. And you got people saying, no, God doesn't care anything about all this natural stuff. Wrong. It's the test. He's watching to see how you handle this natural stuff. Can you be honest with a few dollars? Can you be faithful with a few dollars? Hmm? Because if you can't be faithful with a few dollars, there's no way he's going to give you more. And you wouldn't, if you were a business owner and had a manager and saw that that manager was terrible with your money, you don't give them more of it. It's not a good steward. It's not a good manager. You watch what they do with a little bit. I said, you watch what they do with a little bit. We were driving down the road, I guess a few months ago, and I think it was back in the summer. Anybody see this when the, when the lottery got close to a billion dollars? Anybody see that? I think it was anyway. And the kids were asking me about it. We saw it on a billboard. What's that mean? So we explained the whole thing to them. And they started trying to figure out how they'd spend it. And they started making their list of stuff. And they listed this and they listed that. And they listed this and went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And they're like, okay, daddy, how much do we have left? I was like 950 million left. You've, you've got a ways to go guys. <laughs> trying to figure out I would do this with it and I would do that with it and I'm going to do this with it. But you know what Jesus said? You're going to do the same thing with a billion that you're doing with a hundred right now. So don't kid yourself thinking, oh, I would be a great giver if I had a million dollars. You would be the exact same giver then that you are now. Exact same. He said, whatever you do with a little, that's what you do with a lot. If you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. If you're faithful with unrighteous mammon, I can, tr- uh, I can give you true riches. Faithful. And then finally, and I'll wrap it up with this. Three areas to prove faithful in. The little things, 
the money things and what else? Other people's things. Isn't that what he said? If you can be faithful in that which is another man's. If you can't be, he said, then who's going to give you your own? This is how God has designed it. He gives us opportunity to serve somebody else's vision before he gives us our own. He gives us opportunity to come, by, to come up underneath somebody in support and in help. And if we can prove faithful in the way we help with their thing, we can be trusted with our own. But do you know there are people all over the world that fail this test right here, cannot prove faithful in somebody else's thing. Because being faithful with somebody else's thing means uh, you're not complaining. This is, this is having a job and going to work somewhere and not complaining while you're there and griping about their procedures and griping about their policies and griping about their, their, their rule, back, rule book and the way they do this and the way they do that until it comes to the paycheck and you're fine with that. That's unfaithfulness. That's unfaithfulness. Faithful, being faithful in somebody else's things, it starts with showing up. Faithfulness shows up. Do you know that? Because the word faithful literally means dependable, reliable. And if you don't show up, you're anything but dependable. You cannot be relied on. But it doesn't just start and end with showing up. It starts with showing up, but it also, faithfulness is also showing up. You ready? On time. Sorry. But it is showing up on time. This is somebody else's thing, right? This is somebody else's business. This is somebody else's ministry. This is somebody else's, another man's things, which means it's their time. And to be late means you are mishandling their time. So being faithful isn't just showing up. It's showing up, but it's not just showing up on time. It's showing up on time and ready to work. That's faithfulness. But it's not even just showing up on time, ready to work. It's showing up on time, ready to work until the job is done. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is helping somebody the way they need help. Not you deciding for them how they should be helped. That's not faithfulness. And we've seen this. We've seen it in the church. We've seen it in the ministry. As a matter of fact, it was one of the first things we ever had anybody leave us because of. We had people come, move their family from across the nation. Want to be a part of this church. We want to help. We want to help. We want to help. Ask us anything. We want to be help. We, we want to be a help to you. Awesome. Wonderful. Glad you're here. Can you do this? No. Okay. A few days, a few weeks later. Can, I, can we ask you to do this for us? Uh, no, no. I don't really feel led to do that. Okay. Um, can we ask you to do this for us? Can you, we, we need some help over here. Would you do this for us? No. Uh-uh. And then they tell us what we want to do and what you should be asking us to do is this. And, and wanted essentially leadership over a major department in the church. 
And it's like, but these other things, no, uh-uh, no. That's unfaithfulness. Faithfulness, faithful in another man's things, in another person's things, is helping them how they need help, when they need help, the way they need help. And it finally got to a place with some people that they packed up and moved away because they didn't like the way and the place we wanted the help. Sarah and I were laughing about this just the other day, though. Not, I'm sorry, I'm keeping you long. I'll just tell you this and we'll be done. But we were laughing about it. You know, I was thinking, imagine this. Imagine, imagine you're packing up a house, right? And you got furniture to move and you got boxes to move and, and you are there all by yourself and you have somehow got to try to figure out how to do this all on your own. And I show up at the front door and I say, the Lord has sent me to help you. What do you say? Oh, thank God. Please, I need the help. Would you mind picking up that box? Uh, actually, could you grab the other, other end of that, that sofa and we're going to take that out to the truck? And I say, no, let me stop you right there. That's not the help you need. My gift is singing. My gift is to lead others in worship. Okay, but here's the deal. I just got to get this sofa out to the truck. Lord, we lift your name on high. What, what, what are you doing? Lord, we love to sing your praises. You know what? That's great. But if I could get you to grab that box, Lord, I'm glad you're in my life. This is helping you. Come on, help me. Is it helping them? No, that's not the help they need. And it's not faithfulness. Faithful in another man's things is to help them when and how and where and the way they need the help. It's like, well, why are we talking about this? If you're interested in what little you have becoming a lot, you better be glad we're talking about this. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.